People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trojan welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. I'm actually looking forward to this. I know I look forward to most of the interviews, but um, I've invited into the studio Peter Kramer. You will know Peter both as a presenter on Fine Music Radio and also for his CD and DVD expos, which he does every Saturday and certainly now during the week. And Peter's had a long and actually remarkably varied career, which I'm dying to find out more about. So, Peter, welcome. It's good to have you on that side of the microphone. Oh, thank you very much, Rob. How does thank it you feel being on that side of the microphone? Oh, it feels a little bit intimidating. Normally, when it's on the, con- on the desk side, one feels a little bit in control. Now, I'm totally at the mercy of the studio. <laughs> I know, Peter, I always say, uh, when I get interviewed, and I've been interviewed a few times, I feel vulnerable and sort of out of control. Yeah, well, you know, I suppose one does in a way, but uh, I, I think being on stage for so many years, I've learned to control these things a little bit. You know, you channel your nervous energy. Yes, but there's so much to learn about you, Peter, including Hans Kramer, the House of Music, your father. But what I want to just start with is just to look at the prison situation. Mm. We've had a year of COVID. CD sales are definitely down, and yet you are keeping going somehow, and you're regarded as one of the only people selling classical CDs and DVDs at the moment from your home in Goodwood. Is it tough? Yeah. Look, the last year hasn't been exactly a walk in the park. Um, I was working for a company until the end of 2019, um, and then I got retrenched. And I had to start something new. Mm-hmm. And I had to look for that little gap in the market. Um, look, we, we live in changing times. Everything's gone to the digital platform at the end of the day. And yet in South Africa, for various reasons, a lot of people still buy CDs. Um, purely from a, a, a cost point of view. And South Africans, in, in a way, are a little bit old-fashioned. <laughs> they yeah. still like the feel of a CD, putting it into your... The sort of tactile thing. Exactly, putting it into the machine. And, yeah, it's a very different mentality to Europe and the United States. Mm -hmm. So I had to look for a little bit of a niche. And it it happened just sort of by accident where people started um, offering me their collections. People who um, either had uh, passed away... Um, and the estates then offered me uh, their collections or people who had uh, have retired to retirement estates and they can't take all their collections with them yeah. at the end of the day. So, And that is how this thing actually came into, came in, came into being. Um, and through that, over the last year, I've been able to sort of keep the status quo going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's quite a, a laborious thing because we get these huge collections of things. And then my partner, Fiona, and myself have to go through each and every CD to clean it up to make sure it's right and ready. Because even at 50 Rand a CD, which is what I sell a CD for these days, people still want a good CD. They mm. don't want rubbish. Yeah. They don't want something that's scratched or marked or whatever. So it's a huge thing. Um, and I have built up the stock now to well over three and a half thousand CDs and DVDs. 
Um, That's quite huge, Peter. It's huge. It's, this, it's absolutely massive. And in yeah. fact, I've got a, an, an issue at home because uh, God bless Fiona. But uh, no woman likes her house getting intruded upon, especially when things now sort of CD boxes graduate into the dining room, you know, because they're running out of space at the end of the day. Um, And I get a lot of people um, that come in on during the week or on Saturdays and are absolutely amazed by what I had. I mean, even for myself, who's been so long in this business, well over 40, 50 years um, see stuff that has been deleted mm-hmm. that you can't get anymore that suddenly Appears. some guys had in their collection at the end of the day, yeah. you know, and it certainly adds to the variety of stuff. And as you well know, you can't keep absolutely everything. I mean, there's millions of titles. Indeed, um, but especially with the CD catalogs oh, these days. But I keep certainly a huge variety to please all tastes. Yeah, but and now, Peter, just let me ask you this. What about vinyl? Do you do vinyl at all? Look, I've got vinyl, mm. but... Uh, it's It's been partially a success, not as much as I would have liked at the yes. end of the day. I've got a lot of classical vinyl, um, but it hasn't been the great success at the end of the day. The vinyl market, funnily enough, is not so huge on classics as it is, I think, on jazz, pop stuff. I think this is where... The market has graduated to um, for vinyl specifically. Mm-hmm. You know. But also there's this thing, Peter, where um, vinyl made a kind of comeback or was making a comeback. Well, it definitely but, has. But, but then it's ultra, ultra expensive and you need very expensive been. equipment. Correct. That it's not correct. just buying an LP from the shop no, and fling it on your turntable. What, 180 gram vinyl or whatever it is, yes. uh, you know, this, this very thick vinyl. But as I said to you, yes, it has made a comeback, but I think it's more orientated to maybe – uh, a very small section of the community, especially in the in the jazz uh, pop market or old pop vinyl that has come back, but not so much in the in the, in the, in the classical genre. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get people wanting to get rid of their shellac collection? You know the seventy eight. Yes, because we yes. get calls oh, here regularly. Yes, I and know. there's nothing you can do with those. No, sadly, they they they. <clears throat> Because a lot of that stuff has been reissued mm, on in, CD and uh, digitalized. Exactly. So the, the market for that is absolutely non-existent. You know, Peter, we get I get calls from people saying my father or grandfather died, and he's got all these records by Caruso, and and I say, but these are all now available on CD. So mm. you don't need the LP anymore. No, you don't need the LP anymore. You know, and there's so many CDs available of Caruso. I mean, they they, they crawl out of the woodwork <laughs> in various forms, you know, and a lot of them are, are duplicates and recompilations at the end mm-hmm. of the day. You know? And look, we know, to give Naxos a plug for the moment, Naxos have done a wonderful job in reissuing old recordings, haven't they? Yes, no, very much so. They've got a whole historical division, whether it's uh, Georges Thiel or Caruso or... Benjamin Ugili, John McCormack, to name mm, but a all few. Those names, all yes. those things are available yeah. now. Chrysler, on, on Fritz Chrysler as well. Yeah, Fritz Chrysler, yes, you know, to go to the instrumental side of things. So, yes, there's a lot of stuff available right now, a and lot. Do you do just classical or do you also have some jazz and show I've music? I've got some and jazz that? and it's actually very interesting because since the closure of musical stores mm. um, uh, uh, a couple of weeks back, I have been inundated with people looking for jazz. And in fact, in a very short space of time, um, I've had a lot of people coming in and looking at the jazz that I've got. Um, Some of it is more of the older jazz. 
from the 30s, 40s, and some is the sort of more newer jazz, like, you know, mm-hmm. Foreplay, Bob James, Chris Botti, all that kind of play, and, and buying the stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually very, very interesting. And it's a sign of my business because I have enough classics. Well, not enough, but I mean, I've got a huge selection. The jazz side is something that I want to develop and actually build up over the next mm-hmm. year, very definitely, because there's a huge market for that. So if anyone's listening who's got a jazz collection of CDs that they're looking to get rid of, they know who to phone. Yes, absolutely. No, okay. for sure. Peter, let's have your first piece of music, your life immersed in music, so I'm intrigued what you're going to choose. Interestingly enough, the music I'm going to choose had bearings on my life still when I worked in Dad's shop. I always loved classical music because I was brought up with that. You know, I lived it. But working in Dad's shop, I I learned to go through the LP records in those days, and I discovered certain little plums and things like that, you know, and... um, who wouldn't like Mozart, of course, you know, at the end, at, at, at the end of the day. So the first piece I'm actually going to choose, um, not the particular recording that I heard in those days because it's not available anymore, is the Mozart Piano Concerto K175. It's with the last movement. And on this particular recording, um, I've got one of my favorite Mozart pianists, Alfred Brendel, oh, yeah, who yes. I met incidentally. We'll talk about that later. Oh. Um, uh, it's the K175, the the D major concerto. Um, and uh, the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields is conducted by Sir Neville Mariner. Thank you. 
There's part of the third movement of the piano concerto K175 by Mozart. The great Mozart pianist Alfred Brendel with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields conducted by Sir Neville Mariner. And the first choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Peter Kramer, known to many people for the programs he used to do on Fine Music Radio and also for his CD and DVD sales at his home every day and certainly on a Saturday. And Peter, you teased us just before that by saying you'd met Alfred Brendel. That is correct, (laughs) yes, yes. Under what circumstances? Well... You know, my dad was very involved in bringing overseas artists to Cape Town. Um, that was part of, because he founded the Cape Town Concert Club originally, and he worked with um, two people in Johannesburg who brought the artists to South Africa. One was uh, the late Peter Fischer from Musica Viva, and the other one was the late Hans Adloff, who founded the Johannesburg Musical Society. And uh, in those days, of course, so many artists came to this country. I mean, mm. we were inundated with artists. And one of the artists that came was uh, Alfred Brendel. I remember him. He used to practice the piano at our house. Gosh, lucky you. Yeah, wow. we had an old piano there. Um, and uh, <laughs> he practiced on that piano. And yeah. uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And, in fact, in those days when I, I, I was I hadn't sort of officially started singing yet as a singer, but mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, arias for Mozart was Non Pion Dry. And I remember Alfred, I was sitting next to Alfred at the piano and he sighted it and I sang with him. <laughs> yeah. Not many people can sing. Yeah, that. No, well, it's just, you know, I was so blessed. Mm. I was absolutely entirely blessed with the, the upbringing that I had and meeting thousands upon thousands of the world's greatest musicians Pierre Fournier, Alfred Brendel. Um, uh, Ruggiero Ricci Wilhelm Kempf oh, you know. I knew Peter Fisher quite well uh, in the last couple of years of her life and yes. her her flat had pictures of all these artists signed by them yeah, well, and it's incredible who came out like dad as well you know the, the whole home of music had pictures all over Hmm. Um, this your your dad Hans Kramer, the House of Music. I mean, that was an institution, wasn't it? Where, did he found it? What, how, when was it founded? I mean, well, I don't know how good. Originally, the dates. when Dad came to South Africa in 1933, hmm. he came with my. They, they they weren't married yet. They got married here, uh, Mom and Dad. But uh, Dad worked. I'm just going back a, a little bit to give you a bit of history. No, please do, please um, do. Dad worked at the haberdashery department for Woolworths. He always <laughs> loved me. He always loved music. Yeah. But having his own place was the furthest thing from his mind. And then um, Gallo Africa in those days wanted to open a branch here in Cape Town. And Dad applied for the job with Eric Gallo uh, and subsequently got the job. It was a shop in Hart Street. They sold musical instruments. They sold shellacs. They sold 78 records and everything like that. And he worked there for many, 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 many years until he established his own business in, oh, I think it was 1959. The Home of Music opened its doors for the, for the, for the first time. Where was that? Not being a Cape Tonian. Yeah, I, that was in 59 Long Street. Oh, okay. Upstairs right. above the infamous, uh, what's it, the, the Red Peacock Coffee Shop, I think it was. <laughs> okay. You know, we always used to get the wafting of the coffee coming up. And every mm. time there was a fresh brew on, Dad used to say, come, let's go downstairs and have the first cup, you know. <laughs> but it did, it, it was famous, that shop. It was famous countrywide, not only in Cape Town. Well, it was the first kind of um, salon kind mm. of shop where mm. you got a massive range of LP records in those days and you had private listening facilities and you had individual service. 
So it it was very very unique in in those in the, in that particular in that particular time. Yeah. I remember because I my early days of buying LPs was in Durban, where there were not great record shops, and I remember ordering. From Hans Kramers in Cape Town, all the other famous one was recorded. Do you remember? Yeah, of course, I remember Jaime Grauer. That's right. And um, you know, seeing this thing arrive at the post office, it was terribly exciting with the Hans Kramer stickers and wrappers and paper. So that was my connection with that because it the name spread and it did well, didn't it? It was hugely successful. It was a, it was hugely hugely successful, and 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 that combined with the Cape Town Concert Club. It, 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 it really, it, it was it just a whole musical emporium mm, at the end of the day. And, yeah. and, and dad's name was totally synonymous with presenting music and the selling of, the, of music at the end of the day. And this is the world in which you grew up with that record trip. And you said you helped in the shop as well. Yes, I helped in the shop. After, that's where I got my mu- musical introduction. I remember I went to school just up the road at Christian Brothers College, a nice Jewish boy going to Christian Brothers College. Why not? Yeah, exactly. And, and then I used to go into town and I used to watch. Mm. My father was very, very hot taskmaster and very, very specific. For anybody who worked in the shop, you weren't allowed to serve customers for the first year. Wow. You had to look through the stock. You had to virtually get to know the stock, who recorded what on what label it was and everything like that. You had to learn the filing systems. You had to know what you were about before you could actually serve a customer, which was totally unique. Now you you, you want a job, you go into a record shop or anything, and you serve. Yes. Not in those days. Yeah. You had to know your stuff before yes. you could actually approach a customer because you had to approach him with a position of authority, knowing what you were talking about yes, at the end exactly. of the day. And yeah. they ask for advice. I want a recording of this symphony. Um, I've been told the Klemper one is the best, but what do you recommend? For example. Exactly. You know, and it, 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 it was... Um, it, it, it was difficult, but, you know, we, we, we sort of worked around it, um, and you had to know your oats at the end of the day. No, and, of and that's where uh, my father set the bar very high, and it, it stood me in good stead at the end of the day because I still to this day try and set the bar as high as possible, you know. How did it all end? Down? Dad, they were getting on a little bit in years, mm-hmm. and uh, mom wasn't very, very well. And uh, they decided to call it a day at the end of the day. Okay. okay. Um, and Dad, decided, we, we, we closed the store down. Dad was very, very cut up about it. But, you know, it's a case of sometimes a door closes and another one opens. And no sooner had he closed the, the, the store than uh, the mutual friend that we all had, Derek Hulsen from Musica, had an LP, second-hand LP shop called Play It Again Sam down in the Golden Acre. And because of Dad's experience and his knowledge and the person that he was, they asked him to come and run that. So that's exactly what he did. And he didn't have the huge responsibility of… Of it being his own business. Business being his own business, the stress of everything, mom not being that, that well… Um, and it, 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 it worked out ex- exceptionally well for them at the end of the day. Oh, good. A happy ending to a lovely very, story. Very, very much so, you know, and the, and the name carried on for, still today. I mean, you know, people still remind me all the time, oh, I've got LPs with a gold sticker. The gold on sticker, it. that's right, with his you, signature. That's, 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 right. that's correct. Peter, it's time for your next piece of music. What have you chosen for well, number two? Well, I have chosen 
there again, going back to the good old days, you know, we hear of so many of these pianists today who are great, great, great pianists. Uh, people like uh, Yuju Wang, uh, Leif Ofrath Ansnes, all these Lang Lang, uh, Lang, Lang you know. Yeah. But these pianists inherited a lot of their greatness from the teachers that they had in, 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 in the old days, as you well know. And one of the pianists that I grew up with and I had such respect for at the end of the day was Rudolf Serkin. Ah, right. Now, uh, one of the greats, of course. Um, and uh, I've decided to um, play a little bit of uh, the piece is too long to do the whole thing of his choral fantasy, the Beethoven choral fantasy, oh, him yes, playing yes. the Beethoven choral fantasy, um, this particular recording with Zeji Osawa and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And it's, it's legendary. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of these great pianists, as you well know, their names aren't mentioned so much anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you look back, some of the old pianists like Rudolf Erkusny, um, Rudolf Serkin, and things like that, people we associate in the age in which we live of the pianists that we know of. Indeed, indeed. I mean, Gary Grafman was another wonderful pianist who introduced me to the Tchaikovsky Second Piano Concerto, that legendary recording with Eugene Normandy in the Philadelphia. And Gary Grafman, in fact, who's still alive today, ended up being Yuja Wang's teacher. <laughs> well, there you are. You, you know, so yeah. the, these 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 pianists of yesteryear, well, not yesteryear, they um, were so great in the, in their interpretations, and yet a lot of them, you know, get overlooked today for the greats of today, which I suppose is natural. Yeah, no, I sure. mean, even Ashkenazi Baron Boim are regarded now almost old school ish. Yeah, exactly. Believe it or not. Yeah, no, for sure. <clears throat> but uh, so anyway, we're going to listen to a bit of the choral fantasy. Um, and there's a reason I've also chosen this piece. I love this piece of music. And I was studying piano years ago, and I learned the entire piano piece. Oh, of that? Yes, of the choral fantasy. I learned, I learned the piano piece. There was a, a thing without the orchestra where you could just learn the piano part. And I learned, I, I studied the whole piece, and I could play the whole piece. My goodness. Because yeah. <laughs> that opening is quite a virtuoso display. Exactly. And, and uh, that's what we're going to I had hear. A, I had a terrible teacher. She was an absolute brutal. Um, <laughs> but like all piano teachers are, I suppose. You know, yes. they, they, they're very, very strict. Um, but uh, this is a legendary thing. So the choral fantasy was Rudolf Serkin.
Well, unfortunately, we have to leave that rather strange work, The Choral Fantasy by Beethoven, a chorus and orchestra and piano solo. And we heard there the opening, Rudolf Serkin, the pianist, and part of the main theme with the Boston Symphony Orchestra conducted by Seiji Ozawa. And that was the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week on Fine Music Radio, Peter Kramer. A life in music, you say, Peter. And you've hinted at some of the things you did. Um, you said you learned the piano, but yes. singing became a very big part of your life. Yes, didn't it, it did. It became a huge part of my life. I always had a voice of sorts. Um, <laughs> yes. I probably still got a voice of sorts. But I sang in the synagogue choir for many, 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 many years. And that's where I really sort of honed it in a way. And then I decided to take it a little bit further. And I had various teachers who trained me and got me to, to sing properly mm-hmm. uh, or sort of properly. And then I joined the chorus at KPAP. Um, the good old days, the KPEP chorus, and we had a wonderful chorus master at the time, uh, Christine Reynolds. Um, and um, I remember Christine Reynolds from Durban yes. before she came to Cape Town, and her husband was Kenneth Reynolds, I think. Yeah. The silver haired yeah, yeah, that's correct, yeah, yes. Yeah. And I sung in the chorus for many, many, many years, and I developed huge friendships with still today uh, with a lot of the, 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 the choristers in those days. And then the, there was a change of hierarchy in um, at, at KPAP, and Murray Dickey arrived. And um, with him also, he engaged the, the services of Wayne, Wayne Long. And I started serious study singing with Wayne as a, as a vocal coach. And that opened all sorts of doors for me at the end of the day. Um, I sang the King of Egypt in Aida um, here. And I was involved in the second casting of um, Figaro in Marriage of Figaro. Oh, really? Yes. And, in fact, we didn't do any performances. Uh, The late Ben Illerman was in the the main cast. But we did a wonderful, wonderful schools tour with that Figaro. And um, in that was the Count was sung by Devet van der Rooyen. I sang Figaro. And Michelle Briet sang Cherubino. And we went to all the schools, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, my dearest friend, the late Anton Stolz, was also involved in that schools, schools too. My memory sometimes doesn't go that far back these <laughs> You're days. You're doing very well. Yeah. You're doing very well. <laughs> and we did a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful schools tour. Uh-huh. Um, and that sort of opened all sorts of other things for me, uh, other things for me as well. Um, were you a baritone yes. or bass? Uh, you were baritone. Bass, baritone. Bass, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then what I did was so there were some really great highlights that ensued from those kind of things. First of all, I sang the South African premier performance of the Bloch Sacred Service, the Avodata oh, really? Kodesh. Um, I sang that with my yamaka and my talus at the City Hall. Um, and the Cape Town Symphony Orchestra was under the conduction of Eliakum Shapira, yes, Israeli conductor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the Kaddish in that performance, The Prayer for the Dead, was read out very, very emotionally. It was a very emotional performance uh, by the late Soli Yach. Um, and then I also sang the world premiere performances of the, um, the Huguenot Cantata by Hubert Duplessis. With myself, Virginia Ustas, and Rena Rakin, Schert Uh We did that in Pretoria. And uh, we, we, we did it here as well. Fiendishly difficult work. Was this your 
mainstream job at this point. You well, were a singer, yeah. you were a, a singer at KPAB. Yes. And oh, got paid uh, no, 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 no. I did that as a part-time. I was working then for the late Donald Graham. Oh, yes. In Graham Sound and Electronics, yeah, who did right. all these things. And we imported CDs and got labels, bits and other things to, right. to work with. So you know, the singing then didn't sort of pay for itself at the end of the day. But I did this as extras. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, during that particular time, um, I was approached to um, sing in a film version of Cosi Fan Tutte. <laughs> which my uh, Larry Folly, the late Larry yes, Folly, yes, myself, Andrea Katzel, and Marilyn Bennett, we sang that and we filmed it at Boschendal um, and at Bellingham, and it was directed by my dearest friend Billy Kennedy, mm. who now lives in McGregor. That's right. Okay, um, so I did that as well, and th- those were just some of the, the, the few of the highlights of of, of what I did. Gosh. But the other thing, Peter, was the Gilbert and Sullivan operas that you did. You yeah. did many well, for them. Well, they, in fact, launched me in sort of public performance kind of thing. I did Pirates of Penzance. In fact, I think I've done every single baritone role that there is to do in Genesis, except for the, for the gondoliers. Oh, right. Okay. I've, I've done the more Pirates twice, Mikado a couple of times. I saw you the only time I've ever seen you on stage was a few years ago when GNS did the Mikado. Yes. And you played the Mikado. I played the Mikado. And I remember thinking, gosh, he's quite impressive. <laughs> you did so well. Well, the, the, the wonderful part of that is that you can only arrive, you, you don't have to arrive at the beginning. You, you can arrive at interval <laughs> yeah. because you only come on in the second half. <laughs> but we took that tour, we took that production of Mikado to the International Gilman Sullivan Festival That's in Harrogate. Right. That's right. Now look, we're going to have another piece of music, Peter. You know, t- we talked about singing, and uh, singing was always a big part of my life. And I love the human voice, and being a, a, a baritone, um, the baritone really—I enjoy the baritone voice. And I remember years ago when I was still very tiny, I was exposed to the Marriage of Figaro, and I had an old LP recording of Fernando Corena and Giorgio Sieppi singing. In a, a, a Figaro recording, which was conducted by Joseph Cripps on an old oh, Tepaz record player, yes. which I had in those <laughs> days. Um, so I've picked a cut from the Marriage of Figaro by a wonderful baritone who um, a lot of people may not know today, but in those days he was absolutely great. And that's the glorious voice of Tom Krause, the Finnish baritone. Oh, yes, Tom Krause, Whoa, indeed. He had Very a voice good. like a cannon. He did. Yeah, yeah massive yeah. voice. And uh, I've got him. This this recording is very unique because the Vienna Philharmonic is conducted by Fankarian. Now Fankarian was initially uh, a Deutsche Grammophon artist, and he was never allowed to record any symphonies or any orchestral music with the Vienna Philharmonic. You could only record opera with them in terms of uh-huh. his contract. Yes, because. Yes. I know that because I worked for Deutsche Grammophon for a bit while I was overseas for many, many years. And so this particular recording is a wonderful recording with Tom Krauser, Anna Tumova Sinto, Jose Van Damme, and Eliana Kotrubas. And we're going to listen to Haija um, Vinta La Causa, uh, which is sung by Tom Krauser. Oh, 
sentenza sarà. Let's 
Krause there. I like the way you described that voice, Peter, as like a cannon. Yes, but it had such resonance, didn't it? But interestingly enough, he had a very open sound. A very open sound. Yes. Sometimes a lot of the sounds that singers have are covered. Yes. I know he, exactly. He, he had a very open sound. Mm. In other words, he went through the passaggio with a very open throat. Really, and, and uh, like Ingvar Wicksell, it seems to be endemic. With the Scandinavian singers, they have this very open sound uh, uh, when they go. Yeah, Marty Talbot, another one. Very open sound at the top, which was so unique. It's so amazing, really. I I love his voice. Peter Kramer is enthusing about music and voice here on FMR's People of Note. And um, you mentioned, you slipped in there, Peter, that you worked at DG. Now, this is a big thing. Because DG is for well for years and probably still now regarded as one of the most eminent of the classical. Correct. Levels. What did you do then? How did you manage to do well, that? Well, in those days, the 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 the, uh, the agency for for Deutsche Grammophon um, and and Philips Record belonged to a company called True Tone Records mm-hmm. in South Africa, and um, there was a competition on who could sell the most Deutsche Grammophon, and Hans Grammer won. And the, part of the trip, part of the prize for that was a trip to go and visit the original factory in Germany. Gosh, my goodness. In Hanover. Yes. Now, Hanover, interestingly enough, is the place of my father's birth. Oh, that's a coincidence. Okay. And I went to the factory. To cut a long story short, I went to the factory, this, that, and the other. And um, and I loved it so much. And I met a lot of people there. Um, And I went through to their headquarters in Hamburg. um, And one one thing led to the other. And I was offered a, 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 a sort of a learning post. There at Deutsche Grammophon, and I ended up staying th- three, four years My goodness with me. them there. What, uh, what were you actually doing? Well, I was in the training department, in the export department ah, okay. For, okay. for Africa, funnily enough, and, and the Middle East. Right. But I had a lot of dealings with uh, a very, very famous producer for Deutsche Grammophon at the time, Dr. Wilfred Denecke. And he you recorded, see his name on many of the old correct. records. Yes. He recorded the Dvorak symphonies, the Kubelik symphonies. Right. And uh, I sat in on the, that very famous recording of Gilel's Jochum Brahms concertos. Oh, my goodness. Where that, that legend, That's one of my still, desert islanders. Which still holds its own today in spite yes. of all the competition. Yeah. Um, and I learned so, so, so much. Um, but that must have been an amazing experience. It was Gilles, unbelievable. And it was the Berlin Philharmonic. That's correct, under the, uh, under the direction of Eugen Jochum. Jochum yeah. They originally wanted Karian to conduct that, but Gilles didn't want to conduct under Karian. He never played under Karian yeah, for yeah. various reasons. <laughs> um, and so they got Jochum to, uh, Eugen Jochum to do it. Yeah. And um, I, I learned so much about recording. I learned so much about artists. And Gilles was the most amazing man. He did very broken English. But really, really the most stunning pianist. And I made so many friends in the industry over there. 
That's what's probably stood you in good stead as well. It did. It gave me good experience. Yes. And your name getting known at a place like Exactly. I mean, you know, it's like yourself. You know, when you go to Germany and you meet all these wonderful artists like you with Emmanuel Pahud and all these things. You know, one meets people and you find at the end of the day that one has more in common than one actually thinks. Mm. You know, it, it just because they're, they're great people and great artists doesn't mean to say there's some base, not a basic underlying thread that binds us all together at the end of the day. Were you interested in the technical side of recording, uh, you know, or not? No. Did that not no, really no, That you? didn't really bother me. I okay. was interested in the music yes. itself. And the and dissemination of the CDs and correct, LPs. you and know, that. and how the distribution things worked yeah, yeah, yeah. and how they how they planned their releases and all these other kind of things. That and was we, in those days in South Africa, with the various companies like Gallo and Trutone and EMI mm. and all those things, we had a good number of imported classical music supplies, didn't we, at the various shops? No, very much so, very much so. I mean, the, we were on the map, so to speak. Absolutely, and uh, there, there, there wasn't many things. There weren't many things that you couldn't get. Mm, exactly. You know, some some things, uh, for example. Um, that that me and my dad in my dad's shop we imported ourselves like Erato. Oh yes, yes, that was. And the only uh, reason the Erato came about that that we ended up as agents for at the end of the day, because one of the wo- most wonderful violinists in the world visited us, Pierre Amoyal. Yes. And he was very f- friends with Michel Garcin, who was the founder of Erato, and um, he came on tour here with Ankefelek, the pianist, and through that we started importing Erato LPs into the country, which and was, was a major label. Yes. Major label. Major wonderful French artists. label. Another CD. We're running out of time, Peter. Yeah. Another piece of music. All right. What I'd like to play, also something that really fundamentally I, I, I just loved, the Mendelssohn double piano concerto, the E major concerto. I, I just loved it. And the original recording I heard was with Arthur Golden and Robert Fisdale years ago with George Sell in the Cleveland. <laughs> yes. uh, it, I just loved the vibrancy of the, of the concerto. Mm. And on this particular recording, we've got the wonderful Turkish duo, Guan Suha Pekinel, uh, with the Philharmonia Orchestra under the direction of Sir Neville Marin. It's the last movement of the E major concerto, double concerto.
Part of the last moment of the double concerto by Mendelssohn, and that was the Turkish duo Gua and Sir Pekinol, was it? That's Peter? correct, yes. And uh, very interesting with these two is that um, when they play, they don't play facing each other; they play parallel to each other, one slightly behind the other. Oh, okay. It's quite unique. Yeah, because usually they face each other. Correct, the but they don't. Oh. They play slightly one behind the other, just one little bit forward than the, than the other. That must be a bit weird. Peter Kramer is my guest, and we're running out of time, Peter, but I just wanted to ask you as we approach the end, are you? Uh, are things going to be okay with CDs? I know the other thing we did mention when you said at the beginning people die and leave you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are moving to digital platforms, aren't they? And I know quite recently we here got some CDs from someone who'd moved all his CDs onto a playlist system. Yeah, a server. They a put server, them onto a server, yeah. yes. And so you're not actually importing CDs at the moment. You're not, you're not an agent for <clears> digital. <throat> or, no, uh, I'm not, but it's something that I'm looking at. Oh, are you? Obviously, okay. with the COVID thing, it's put a lot of halt on imports. Mm-hmm. Uh, for various reasons, yeah. one of which is financial, because with business not being what it should be, um, people don't have extra cash to import and everything yes. like that. And you'd have to have a massive capital anyway to import and then just hope it's sold. So Correct. That's taking uh, that, quite a risk. Exactly. So um, I'm, I'm just going with the status quo at the moment, but I'm, I'm certainly it's something that I, I am going to look at for certain niche things that I, I, I feel that are important to plug little holes in the repertoire, especially mm-hmm. I'm looking like for Hyperion, the Romantic Piano Concerto series. Yes. And I'm, yes, yes. I have a very dear friend at Hyperion who owns Hyperion, Mike Perry. Oh. And um, so we've been in talks 
um, to try and do something on the Hyperion label. The the problem with that is also I've established a name now in terms of the CD market being you not get fifty rand, sixty rand a CD. If I start importing Hyperion records yes, that's going to be at the current rate of exchange, you've got to start selling Hyperion for 230, 240 <laughs> rand a shot with the current rate of exchange and freighting and things like that. Yeah. So um, I, I've got to find a way of melding it in to the, 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 the way in which I want to work right now. Okay, so you've got lots of challenges to the head, Peter. Lots of challenges. And enjoying every moment of it. I'm, I'm loving it. You know, it, it, it is a challenge. And I think one does it for the love of music well, exactly. at the end of the day. This exactly. is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, whether you're a musician or, uh, or an art, uh, in the artist business or in the music business like me, we do it all for the love of music at the end of the day in whichever sphere we are in. <laughs> and you'll never be hugely wealthy. No, 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 no. <laughs> My father always said, if you want to be rich, never get into the, mu- into, into the music business. Okay. He says, there you turn money, you don't make money. And he was <laughs> actually very right. <laughs> well, let's not end too negatively, but you're no. doing okay. You're doing okay on yes. as you said, yeah. your shop. Okay, Peter, now what are we play you out with? Well, you know, I've always – I love jazz. <gasps> and no, I've in, – in, in, No, it's, 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 I love good jazz. Yeah. Well – Good jazz, the jazz aficionados will probably say, well, what is good jazz? Well, exactly. You know, they're always very difficult, these people, at the end of the day, you know. Um, but I grew up on the likes of people like Bob James, uh, who had a classical training, obviously, mm. and is a wonderful, wonderful musician. And uh, I, re- I still remember, I can't remember the name of the LP, but it was sort of a blue cover with a hot dog on it with mustard. I think it was called, <laughs> I don't know what it was called. But anyway, so um, I've got a little cut here from, uh, uh, he got together with a couple of guys, and they call themselves Foreplay. And um, there's a cut here called Still the One, which is uh, the cut one on this particular CD. And I love it. I, I, unwind, with, I unwind with this kind of music. You know, yes. all right, I don't drink, but uh, a good apple juice with a little bit of jazz never went badly. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Kramer, thank you very much for an entertaining chat. It's a pleasure, Rodney. Thank you for having me. Thank you. People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FM.
Oh